develop the feedback algorithm. So, you know, if I show you green and all these brains see green and I notice through AI that there's a spike that happens in the signal, then we know that when you see green, you know, this spike happens. And because they're controlling the content and probably, you know, to some extent in the research level, able to monitor, you know, the brain computer interface or whatever the signals are, they're going to be able to really shortcut the uh, learning process very fast mm -hmm. because they have full closed loop controlled in some, some respect. So mm -hmm. it's going to be really exciting and I'll shut up about all the nerdiness. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Tyler, you want me to, I will toggle in between and this survey from, that's why I did okay. the earlier yeah. session. Yeah. Yes, so we'll wait another minute or two for everyone to jump in yep. um, so that everyone can take the survey here in a minute. You. If you haven't already, please do click on the link at the top of the room and take our survey to help us decide if we should move the start now that we're going into time change season because Europe and the UK just changed their clocks yesterday and America is going to change the clock backs and this Sunday. So it's a good time to, for the first time ever to revisit, should we, or should we not change time zones of any kind? So the question is very incredibly simple. What time should we start tech news each day? And you can just, that's it. We don't ask for your email, your name, nothing. Just the time. So please take 10 seconds and click on the link at the top of the club and help us figure out somebody just added 12.01 p.m. I imagine it's because they want to make sure 12 p.m. is in the middle of the day and not confuse it with the morning. So, um, yeah, please, we already have 113 responses. But keep going. It's been... It's very cool to watch uh, the results of this. And Google gives us this really nice um, calculated. We can see very clearly which one is in the lead. It's like a very beautiful way that they represent the data. And, um, and we give you a second choice as well, which is incredibly insightful as well. Anyway, so please do that. We'll start. We'll, we'll, try to remind people every 30 minutes to do that because um, we want to make sure everyone gets a chance to chime in with that. So until the next 30 minutes, we're now right at the top of the hour. So let's jump into uh, it. Timer. Yes, Messi. Um, can I ask like uh, the questions you were asking, was it like for just the morning session or does it include the afternoon as well? Uh, well, I, I want to just know what, primarily well because the the reason we do it twice is because if you only do it once per day you're gonna piss off somebody on the planet <laughs> because it's not possible to pick a time that's convenient for asia us and europe one of them you can only get two out of three so right. the um, and and Africa, you, you and Mabwana and others are in Africa as well. Like well, it's then it gets really impossible to. Uh, uh, that's why we do it twice a day. So the sev we currently do it seven a.m. UK, seven a.m. Pacific, specifically for 
the kind of European morning and the American morning, you know, uh, that's kind of the idea. And then for Americans who don't like the morning, they can do the European morning, which is their evening. And um, so it seems to have worked out very well thus far. However, it, we're stabbing in the dark. We don't really know. So now that we've got, you know, we did this survey when we did the European morning session, you know, eight hours ago. And we've got the data from that. And that's been incredibly insightful. And now we're asking the American room, which is this room, please click on the link above my head and take 10 seconds to answer a one question. What time should we start Tech News Around the World for you? If you were At the boss. Time. Okay. Yes. Okay. So what, what did you say, Messi? What time would you start it? Well, no, the morning one, when there was that uh, poll, I did six and seven. It, it doesn't really matter to me. It's They both are early morning, eight or nine in the morning, my time. So mm -hmm. right now it's five in the afternoon, my time. So they mm -hmm. both are kind of okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that, we get into the air horn. And that sounds means it's news, tech news time. So... The top story today, uh, happy Monday, November 1st. Hope you had a great weekend. And the top story is that from the Financial Times. They say they have an estimate of Apple's um, privacy. When Apple started going on about a year ago, they got really, really focused on this whole privacy narrative. And, the, and then... It's been interesting to see how that's unfolded because it's also become incredibly clear that it has nothing to do with your privacy. It has to do with them building an ad network. <laughs> and they don't say that. They don't say that at all. They've made no hint of it, honestly. I mean, really, they've really not even mentioned it. But it's happening. And in fact, they tried to hire Antonio, who used to run the ad network for Facebook. That was one of the first big signs, but there's been several others. And this headline is another because the Financial Times has done a little calculation, a little estimations, as they call it. And it says that when Apple announced all of this privacy, 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 privacy. Well, by the way, they don't really mention that anymore ever since the Pegasus zero day exploits that are all up in your phones. And it turns out there's multiple zero day exploits all up in your phones. So they can't really go around yelling privacy anymore. However, they do make this special app tracking transparency app, which alerts you, the user, of how much of your data is going to Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, and Twitter. And you get notifications saying, hey, just so you know, you're sending all of this data that you probably didn't know you were sending to Facebook and Snapchat and YouTube and Twitter from time to time. And it turns out when people get those notifications, many people turn off. And then Apple says very cheekily, would you like to restrict the data that uh, we send to Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, or Twitter? And a lot of people say, yes, I would like to restrict that data. It doesn't really do me any good. Why am I giving it to them? Well, you're giving it to them because you click the I agree button when you install the app without actually reading what you're given. And Apple knows that. And that's why Apple's giving you now, realizing, you know what, you probably, you really gain exactly zero by giving that data to them. And they're not giving you anything for that data. So 
would you like to restrict it? Because it's you essentially might might actually be intruding on your privacy and, and to an extent. Apple, Facebook would tell you, actually, you do get something. You get much more targeted ads. The ads that you see on Facebook are far more relevant to you than if you don't give us that data. And that's would be just to be represent both sides of that argument for a second. But Apple is the one who really wins when you turn off that data to Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, and Twitter. Because, as we just said, Apple's building an ad network. And as you're about to see when I read the numbers from this Financial Times article, when people turn off those ads, it's really hurting Snapchat. Oh, boy. And Facebook and Twitter and to some some degree YouTube. And what that does is, is those advertisers then are not able to send personalized ads on those social networks and their ad platforms. And now they're thinking, oh, well, gee, how can I target people like I used to be able to do on Facebook? And Apple says, "Who come, come to mama right here. We got you. Now we've got all the data and we're building the ad network. And that's the real plan going on here. And now you understand how now that the, the whole privacy thing has kind of been exposed as a sham anyways, they're still building the ad network anyways, because that's what it was really all about at the, at the end of the day. So this article says and it gives a breakdown of the data and it says for example uh, the expected revenues is the first chart it shows and in billions of dollars it shows that uh sure i'll I'll try and update it on the top link here so you can watch these charts as i read them let's see if this works there we go financial times yeah, and you, I'm, you, I can PTL for you if you give me the green bean. Oh, right. Sorry. So the first chart in this article says expected revenue uh, for Q3 and Q4. So the second half of 2021 for Facebook is $62 billion. YouTube's about uh, a quarter of that with about $15 billion. Twitter with about 4 and Snapchat with about three and then it goes into impact of apple's decision to change iphone privacy settings impact on percent of revenue or impact on revenue as a percentage of the revenue and it's going to impact facebook and snapchat the most equally at 13.2 percent of their revenue will go bye-bye which is a significant hit to their revenue losing 13.2% of your revenue. And it affects YouTube and Twitter uh, about half as much, about 7.5% for YouTube and Twitter. Still, that's a good amount of your revenue. And then it says, which apps are most exposed uh, to Apple's new policy? Because if your app is only on mobile, like Snapchat, uh, then you're more exposed. And if you're more based in the browser like Twitter, you're less exposed. And that's what this next data says. It says that Snapchat is gets 98% of its revenue from out, you know, mobile phones. Facebook gets 90, Twitter gets 50, YouTube gets 70. And then what percentage of those phones is iPhones? 
which could be different from app to app. And it turns out they're actually very much the same. They're all basically 46%. Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube are all exactly 46% of their uh, mobile users are iPhone. Snapchat, it's a bit less, 42%. So interesting data there and um, some some significant impact, 13% of, and 13 and 7.5% respectively for for those big apps and that should affect their stock price and it and it kind of has so next up is after a three-day outage roblox says it's back online according to roblox status page all versions of the game have been down since october 28th and roblox one of the most popular games in the world has been down for over a day now in fact about three days and a bunch of players thought it had something to do with Believe it or not, Chipotle. Turns out it wasn't. At least Roblox isn't admitting it. Uh, but it, it seems oddly uh, in sync timing-wise with the Chipotle promotion where they were giving away a billion burritos or something like that. No, a, a, maybe a million. That would A billion would be a lot of burritos. I think it's a million burritos. Something in that ballpark. Anyway, um, but they're saying, no, it's a, it's a combination of factors the best answer they have so far so the next one is from bloomberg from mark german who's is he the only one writing tech over there at bloomberg these days what what the wtf so he's mark says that chip shortage hits apple at the worst possible time ahead of the holidays and and meta meaning facebook and apple are set to be smart watch and mixed reality headset rivals in 2022 and that part's true we already it's completely abundantly obvious that uh, Facebook slash Meta, um, and it's rather it can't really be more obvious uh, that Apple is going to do the same at some point in 2022. It'll either be at their April, May, June kind of late spring event where they always do the worldwide developer conference, or It'll be late in the year, like the event we had last week, which is the annual event in early September when they announced the new iPhones. And given how normally Apple doesn't care what the rest of the world does with regard to how quickly it, you know, releases new devices. However, I wonder what JT and the other VR folks think now that Facebook has done an official you know, buglehorn announcement with, you know, with the flags waving in the air, quite, quite literally on a, on a, on a hydrofoil surfboard, Facebook is officially announced to the opening of the metaverse games with themselves in the pole position and committing $10 billion per year to it. And, uh, uh with the, with an ex- expectation of hiring 10,000, uh, developers from Europe in the next year for the metaverse, and they want this. They want it really, really bad, and they want it really, really bad for a very specific reason, because Facebook was built on top of Apple and Google's ecosystem, of their devices, of their operating systems, so at the end of the day, they're in control, and that's like the the first headline that we read, that Apple's now asking his own users, hey, are you sure you want to give this data to Facebook? Because we don't think you really want to give it. Go ahead and just click this button, and we'll stop sending that data, because we would prefer that you don't. 
And that keeps Facebook up at night, that Apple has that control over them. Because look what happened to Epic Games, my goodness. Fortnite is no longer in the Apple App Store. Utterly down, shut out. Bye-bye, billions and billions gone. Bye-bye. And Zuckerberg knows that all too well, that if it really came down to it, Apple could yank the chain and pull the plug. So have controlling the platform, a.k.a. the operating system, a.k.a. the device or the hardware, like the, the phone, the smartphone in your pocket, you know, uh, and especially the operating system, is the holy grail. So they want to have the hardware. They've got the hardware with Oculus. They also want to have the operating system. And I would argue that their version of the metaverse and everything that they're describing is essentially their operating system for VR. And I bet you... I bet you, I bet you, I bet you that Facebook is going to make its metaverse work with, and they want to get a huge head start because every platform that has existed thus far, let's start with the PCs. The PCs was Windows versus Mac, right? Windows 95 versus Mac OS. And there was a very special difference between those two, Mac OS really only worked with Mac. There was a brief moment where it worked with PowerPC and they tried to get it to work with Dell. That never happened. But so Mac only works with Mac to make it simple. Windows worked with everybody's hardware. If you were building computers, you want an operating system? Hey, that's what we do. We're, We're called Microsoft Windows. We've been building an operating system. That's what we focus on. We don't build our own hardware. You build the hardware. We build the software. Bada boom, bada bing. Let's cover carpet bomb the whole planet with computers. And they did. And they won. And they kicked Apple's ass handedly put them out of business. They were on their deathbed. Apple was on the deathbed and on uh, Bill Gates went to visit Steve Jobs on the company's deathbed and said, you know, you know what? Actually, um, I need you to survive. Don't die, because if you die, then I'm going to get screwed in the monopoly, uh, you know, court cases. Microsoft ended up getting raked over the coals on on you know the power of their kind of monopoly anyways eventually but now you know why bill gates came to the hospital metaphorically to save steve jobs you know in the icu and injected 300 million dollars of cash to make sure steve kept apple alive which he did and now he's benefiting from apple's return very significantly so apple's returned and, you know, but it they make no mistake, Windows won that battle f- like that was an ass whooping. Holy cow. So act two. Now, guess who's more hungry when the next new platform of the smartphone comes out? Guess who's got a real fire in their belly to win the smartphone battle? Apple, because they got their ass beat in the last battle. So Apple comes out with the iPhone. Trudging right along. Microsoft is so fat and lazy, they they can't even bring themselves to even get in the race because they're making so much money from PCs because they've they're totally won that battle. And then Google comes in and Google rips off Apple, drove Steve Jobs ballistic, might have even, you know, uh, took a, you know, a few months off of his life. It like caused him such anguish. And he swore that he would sue them from beyond the grave, you know, and and he has done so. And anyway, uh, that battle is, is, you know, playing out 
today around the world. And in general, Android has a far bigger market share, but they're actually relatively equal in revenue, as we just read in that first article, where Snapchat and all the social networks get about 46% of their revenue from Apple. So it's about equal that the big, big apps make about half their money from Apple and they get half their money from Android. And so anyway, so now we're going into the next big battle. Phase three, platform number three, the, the big VR thing is finally about to happen. And who do you think wants to win it this time? Really, really bad. Facebook really wants to win this one. And they want and then Apple's going to be in it. We already know that it's going to be Facebook and Apple and who knows who else. But. Here's my main point. Apple's going to do what Apple's always done. Notice what they did on the PCs and the smartphones, and you better believe they're going to do it on their own VRs. They're going to make an operating system for their headsets that is very friendly with their phones and their laptops, but not with other hardware manufacturers. Facebook is going to do what Microsoft and Android did and make their metaverse very interoperable with Anyone who wants to make VR headsets like Vario out of Helsinki, Finland, who makes these gorgeous, incredibly expensive, high res, super pro deluxe versions of these VR headsets. But they don't really make well, actually, they do kind of make an operating system, but it doesn't have all the features that Facebook's operating system does. So they might do some kind of partnership and HTC Vive, which is from Taiwan, doesn't really have that great of an operating system. It's kind of more of an enterprise kind of use case. And Facebook could partner with all of the VR. If VR headsets do become as ubiquitous as smartphones, and that's what the whole envision is here, or at least like laptops, you're going to have at least five, six, seven, eight hardware manufacturers. And Facebook's going to be like, great, we have the best operating system. We will give it to you for free in exchange, you know, for that sweet, sweet, juicy, juicy data that they are so fond of getting, which is exactly what Android does and what Microsoft did to a degree. Microsoft actually did charge a a, a cash license. They were getting somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50 bucks per pop. But um, Android uh, doesn't charge a license. They just get all the data and Facebook is likely to do the same. So it's going to be in that instance. Now, here's why I'm saying all of this, because This article from Mark Gurman at Bloomberg says that the chip shortage hits Apple at the worst possible time ahead of the holidays and Meta and Apple are set to be smartwatch and mixed reality headset rivals in 2022. And he's right. However, Apple's going to do what they've always done, make it their operating system for themselves. Facebook's going to do what they've always done, make their operate or or make an operating system that allows them to get the juicy, sweet data from all of the other VR headset manufacturers because they love that sweet, juicy data because they're an ad network. So that's how it's likely to play out. And it'll Apple is very masterful at supply chain um, warfare, where they will monopolize all the manufacturing in China. Um, and it's going to be interesting to watch if they're able to kind of push Facebook around, because Facebook is quite small in the hardware space, where Samsung and Xiaomi and... Um, LG to a degree, Samsung is a huge player in hardware, actually, because uh, they make a lot of important components, um, screens and memory and batteries. And and so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see that battle between. But, oh, here's my point. The question 
is, is Apple going to release their device in, in late spring at the WWDC, Worldwide Developer Conference, or at the fall event, which is the annual iPhone event? I would wager normally Apple doesn't care what everyone else is doing. They are completely immune and ignore anything anyone else is doing. They do it on their own sweet time when they're ready. This might be the first time ever that they actually feel pressure to get this thing out and do it at the spring event rather than the fall event because of how hot Zuck is to suck up the entire ecosystem and hire all the best talent in the entire metaverse now because he's got a window of opportunity between right now and whenever Apple releases their hardware to acquire all of the best VR gaming or VR studios who are making the video games and the productivity apps and the health apps and the, all of them. And he's got the money to do it. He's, he's sitting on billions and billions of dollars. And he's already said, I'm going to do it. And he's already doing it. We read a headline yesterday that they just acquired a, st- a VR gaming studio. And that's likely to be the first of dozens of VR uh, developing studios that they acquire. And they want to monopolize the whole space. And they might. It's going to be very interesting. Tyler, <clears throat> may I add something? So, yes, JT. Yes, please do. Yeah, um, just to compare and contrast, I think Apple has a huge consumer base. And we know that consumers mm-hmm. are willing to pay ridiculous amount of money uh, for any product they, yep. they release. Um, but the first product that uh, they are going to release is definitely going to be a high-end one. And they have um, said that the second one is going to be a sort of a, a more kind of like iPhone version that anybody can afford. They also have um, the content. And I think that's very important here because Apple hasn't really talked about anything regarding the metaverse, but they have all the content um, behind them. Uh, they have Apple Plus. They have this whole new uh, content lineup. They even have the software. Um, that's one thing that the, I've been reading inside the patterns that they're trying to make um, the VR device the next computing device uh, by bringing the keyboard into the virtual space and and fully utilizing pages and keynotes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They also have um, the products, the, the peripheral products, whether that's the Mac, um, the Apple Watch, and all these things can, can really uh, benefit them, which Facebook is struggling with because one of the things that um, Facebook has to deal with is putting all that compute power into their device um, without having sort of a base station. Apple has their Mac to to support sort of the the processing power and thus keeping right. the, the headset very light. They also have a game ecosystem, which they're able to now compete with um, with um, Facebook on, on that and an Oculus. They also have an ecosystem, as I mentioned. I only you- that that the developer ecosystem is the biggest part. Yeah, yeah, that was my my last one. Uh, the developer community and ecosystem. You saved the best for last. That's the most important bit. And then the um, the other thing is, if you look on LinkedIn, Facebook is upping their system on a chip game SOC. Uh, they're they're doing a full hiring blitz, so they're going to be pushing, you know, their silicon designs towards the uh, M1 style, you know, ARM ARM processors that are very light that can process everything. Okay, so, but you're right, they've got the already, they've got, you know, millions of folks who will buy it when it comes out, sight unseen, 
and they've got millions of developers. And if they make it really easy to make and transition your existing, you know, company into a VR company, into their on their platform, their operating system, that's going to be. I don't know how easy that would be to do. Like how to. Well, we did see that Dropbox and um, Slack are now have announced they're going to be part of the Facebook metaverse, for lack of a better word. And that's cool. And it'd be really interesting to know how difficult that was to do because that could be quite substantial because Facebook has in their Facebook store a few dozen apps. Uh, Apple has millions. So that could be a considerable difference. Tyler, um, one more point. Yes. I think uh, we haven't discussed it while we were discussing in all these rooms about the metaverse. Um, you know, when we are comparing with Apple, you know, by all means, like what JTS said, like it's just amazing if you try to actually perceive it. You know, you have a Mac sitting there or like MacBook Pro or whatever. It's got enough computing power and then it's going to be light, you know, headgear and then you are wearing Apple Watch. So, I mean, you have another sensor, like if you want to actually move your hand, you don't need like those controller or something like that. So the ecosystem is there from the hardware perspective. But again, the, 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 the Apple is so close in terms of the actual, uh, you know, their ecosystem that there's so much restrictions involved. What Mark was talking about was like pretty much bringing in the the masses onto this and not just like about the actual users, but also the actual builders. And they love open source. So for them to actually, it's not just, let's not discuss about the monetization element at this point in time and the ecosystem element but in terms of the adaption, like what is going to be out there. So the Facebook with the 2 billion use, you know, users as compared to like whatever, two, 300 million, is, it's well-placed to actually bring in those masses into the sphere. So it's, it, it, it's just like similar sort of situation, what you said, like in terms of the, having approach of Microsoft, which is like open it up or Google's approach, open it up like to everyone and then, you know, get masses in um, or have a localized, very specified, you know, top of the range, good graphics, 4K, 8K, and then, you know, provide that to our user base. So is that kind of a scenario? So Dr. Fran just tweeted an image from her Twitter account that I just retweeted, and I pinned it to the top of the room. So if you click on that tweet link, you'll see... Uh, where she says the metaverse is already here in parts. Here's a dress I made on sale in the virtual world. And it looks like a very realistic dress. Like that you would, yeah, pay money for it, for your avatar. And, and you know, very interesting. So if Dr. Fran's able to do that, this gets back to my point about normally to make outfits like this would require um, a certain amount of skill, certain amount of friction, certain amount of hardware you would have to buy and learn how to use. And that all goes bye-bye in, in the digital space. And that means the barrier between Dr. Fran or anybody, an, a 10-year-old, and, you know, the best design, Tom Ford, you know, one of the, uh, Carl Lagerfeld, 
you know, rest in peace, or, you know, whoever the top designer from Comme de Garçon is these days, you know, the, 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 the actual friction gap between those, you know, becomes incredibly narrow. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that whole, how goods in, in VR all work out. Anyway, so Can I the ask next big question, article. Tyler, it's Dr. Friend. Yes. Um, yes. Are you saying, are you saying that, that Meta is going to remove the barriers? Because right now making that dress was not an mm -hmm. easy thing. Yes. You know, it's so. Okay. You know, it, it, I used Marvelous Designer, which is a, an incredible mm -hmm. um, cloth simulating software. Okay. And I designed the the materials that are on the dress. So, you know, it's if there is there is a little bit of skill involved. I don't doubt there is. It looks impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I don't imagine I would be able to do it. And the question is, my assumption is like as tech has. Uh, sort of paved a, a rather well-worn trail of working towards making things easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. And the Unity platform and the Epic platforms, it, it's, it's, it stuns me how the quality of things that, you know, how, how, how much power they're giving to the users on their platforms to create, you know, very compelling content that, Previously, you would assume you would have to be a major Hollywood studio to do some of this stuff. And it's like that used to take huge groups of people, countless hours and resources. You know, it's, it's truly remarkable. So, so the, I think the real barrier is going to be broken when um, anybody can do coding because that's for creatives. The barrier is always coding and for coders, it's often creation. Uh, which is why you off in the virtual worlds as they are right now, you often see people pairing up so that you have somebody who's really good at content creation and somebody who can make those things work and do things because they can code. Yep. Okay, next one up is from Wall Street Journal that Digital Currency Group raises seven hundred million at a ten billion valuation led by SoftBank. And with Google as well, capital G as they're now called. Fantastic name for a Google uh, venture team, capital G. <laughs> and, and others participating, Digital Currency Group. So what is Digital Currency Group all about? Uh, Digital Currency Group, a cryptocurrency conglomerate that counts the asset management firm, Grayscale and media company Coindesk among its holdings, raises $700 million in investment round, the second largest in the crypto sector. The funding round valued the company at $10 billion and was led by SoftBank. Uh, SoftBank began investing in the sector about three months ago. We hadn't made any investments in crypto because we didn't think it was ready. According to SoftBank, now the firm expects blockchain technology to be the next big leg of the internet and artificial intelligence-related technologies. The firm likes DCGs, Digital Currency Group's combination of a portfolio of investments and its own operating companies. It's basically the single best asset that gives us the diversity of exposure to crypto, A to Z, SoftBank says. Okay, next up is from the Wall Street Journal. They say they have sources that Apple plans a quote-unquote crash detection f 
feature next year for iPhones and watches, which measures a spike in G-forces to detect car accidents and auto-dial 911. Safety feature is also planned for Apple Watches, expected in 2022, according to company documents. And then the question will be, will it alert the attorneys or the authorities that the car accident was due to you playing Candy Crush. Or will or it record the speed you actually crashed at, <laughs> since it might be a speed limit where you crashed. Or using your VR headset while trying to drive. It's called augmented You know that's coming. You have your game around you. Next up, uh, Financial Times, Dell spins off its 81% stake in VMware, creating a $64 billion independent software company. Dell remaining so hardware operations have an implied value of $33 billion. Next up from Bloomberg, ByteDance, which is the makers of TikTok, limits staff working hours from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. on weekdays becoming one of the first tech companies in China to officially end the 996 culture. So they're now, well, the Chinese folks on the ground had a huge social media campaign a week ago revealing that, yeah, we don't care what the company said. In fact, this is hurting Chinese people. You would assume by reading this article that this helps Chinese folks who were working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. And now they're working 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., three hours less each day. And it doesn't say anything about Saturdays. And there was a very big social media campaign across China last week saying, no, this doesn't help us. This is hurting us. These reduced official hours because now these companies are expecting us to work the same 996 but off the clock, unpaid. And I wonder if Bloomberg is even aware of this, because this wouldn't be the first time Bloomberg totally missed the boat on what's going on in China. Here in tech news around the world. So uh, somebody can dig up those articles from last week of like, now we're working just as much as we used to, but now we're getting paid less because the, co the company's not allowed to tell the government that we're working these same hours. On the contrary, aren't the uh, American ByteDance employees asked to like work really, really, really long hours so that they can be available for China? Another they said that they do work uh, in a way that is simpatico with Beijing, yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll, I'm sure somebody will find some articles about the... It's all in Mandarin is kind of the problem, though, but I imagine some of it got into English. The next one is from the Wall Street Journal. Experts say sourcing chips has almost turned into a lottery amid the global chip shortage as wait times ballooned to 22 weeks. What is that? Uh, that's about half a year, Jesus Christ. Like, you know, the better part of half of a year. Nearly a year into the crisis, some customers are finding it is taking months more than expected to get needed parts. Next one's from Axios. It says, uh, 
interest in Facebook measured by social media interactions per article declined over 2021 with little mainstream attention for Facebook papers. And Facebook papers is the whole coordinated journalistic jihad uh, led by the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and others in all of their absolute ridiculous dumpster diving for quotes from company documents from years ago. Um, Anyway, this one says the Facebook, here it is. The Facebook papers and whistleblower accounts were a public relations nightmare for Facebook. But so far, the company's core stakeholders, which is advertisers, users, and investors, seem unfazed. There's a riddle. Yeah. The stock price wasn't really that affected. The employees aren't really leaving. The users seem unfazed. It's almost like all of this massive dumpster fire... Uh, you were dumpster diving and then trying to make a dumpster fire out of the trash you were cherry picked out of the dumpster. And we saw it for what it is. That you're a bunch of click thirsty tabloids doing jihad journalism. Yeah, we saw that. We knew it. And the market didn't give a shit. And all intelligent people that can have any bit of critical thinking saw it for the sham that it was. And that's why it didn't, it hasn't really amounted to anything. And kudos to Axios for reporting that. It says, for now, this controversy is mainly of interest to media and lawmakers. Yep, you could even say exclusively. By the numbers, interest in Facebook, measured by social media interactions per published article about the company, has declined over the course of the year, according to the exclusive data. The Facebook papers haven't produced very big spikes, even temporary ones, in interest about the company. The biggest jumps in engagement on stories about Facebook have come from stories about former President Trump. And it shows on a chart. From March 2021 until now, uh, there were two large spikes uh, in social media interactions about Facebook. The first big spike was when the oversight board upholds Trump's Facebook suspension. The second big spike is when Trump sues Facebook, Twitter, Google CEOs. And then there's nothing even half as big as that and a couple of other minor ones. And then way down what appears to not even barely be noticeable on the graph is Wall Street Journal begins to publish stories from leaked Facebook documents. Google Trends data shows a similar decline in Google searches for Facebook over the past year, and the biggest spike in Google searches is in in over a year happened when Facebook experienced an outage last month. The Wall Street Journal's most engaged story from its Facebook investigations, which is headlined, Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls, company documents show ranked 48th in social media interactions among all the publications' stories since March. It's barely in the top 50 tech stories for the Wall Street Journal's tech stories in 2021. 
It says the company's recent stock declines have mainly been attributed to Apple's crackdown on targeted ads. The the public relations drama seems to have played a minor role. Social and civic groups have called for a nationwide advertising boycott between November 10th. But aside from that, there hasn't been major advertiser backlash in response to the whistleblower drama. That's right. No one gives a dookie-doo about your dumpster-diving journalistic jihad. There it is. Axios is saying it out loud. Next up is from Pinterest. Pinterest to launch a shoppable live series called Pinterest TV for shopping. Pinterest TV shopping. Who could have seen this coming? What will they call it? Social commerce? What a surprise. It's coming on November 8th. With weekday episodes airing in its app featuring some of its top creators are going to be doing live stream selling. Whoa, whoa, what a fantastic idea. Why didn't I think of that? The series will feature creators and celebrities like Olympic athletes Tom Daly and popular makeup artist Manny Mua. And if you've been listening to Tech News Around the World since we started this little dog and pony show six months ago, you'll know I spent the first three months of Tech News Around the World saying there's going to be this thing called social commerce of live stream shopping on every app. Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, they're all doing it. It's even coming to Spotify. They're all doing it. And so we've been watching humorously since I made those predictions and watched the baby steps they're all taking. Here it comes, November 8th, Pinterest doing it live. Next one, well, from Wired. How payment processors hold the power to decide which products and services can be purchased online. As Stripe bans businesses like tarot card reading. Okay. If you're an online tarot card reader, you cannot use Stripe to accept credit card payments because your users who got their tarot cards read will call up and cancel the charge because you provided a whole bunch of bahui as a service. And they're going to say, you know what? They made me pay up front, obviously, and I got my cards read and it, was, it seemed kind of hokey. I don't think this person actually can really tell what's going to happen. So I want to decline the charge. And if they decline too many charges, then Stripe is like, this ain't worth the headache. Uh, We're not going to accept tarot card readers anymore. Did anyone say Miss Cleo? (laughs) (laughs) Payment, that happened too. And that's why that whole dollar 99 cent per minute thing actually worked for them because it was hard to cancel the charges. But Rest assured, a lot of people wanted to. So, yeah, this article talk. I'm I'm curious. Uh, it says the use of terms like fortune teller and psychic are pejorative, demeaning, and discriminatory, as was the suspension of service, according to an attorney and a Wiccan priestess named uh, Phyllis Carrot. Okay, you you just got my you just piqued my interest here with with the words Wiccan priest, attorney, and Wiccan priestess. Um, 
I wasn't interested. Now I'm very interested. Here we go. Anything with a Wiccan priestess is that's right up my alley. So here we go. The use of terms like fortune teller and psychic are pejorative, demeaning, and discriminatory, as with the suspension of service that attorney and Wiccan priestess Philin Corote about her own struggles with stripe. The fact that countless Wiccans, witches, and pagans have had their similar problems <laughs> with stripe <laughs> begins to sound not like random algorithmic stupidities, but as a pattern of religious discrimination. Oh, which you are not allowed to do in America. That's illegal. You're not allowed to discriminate on religion, and it looks like you're discriminating against witches. Legal questions around metaphysical services are already complicated, and centuries of misinformation around spirituality and witchcraft make it even more difficult for small specialty businesses to defend themselves. Is this related to payment companies like money laundering? Which, what money Do you laundering? Do think that this is related to anti-money laundering? Because it's hard to prove a, 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 a meta service. You know, basically, you know, um, in, uh, I, I, what I'm getting at is it's possibly an easy conduit for you to just transfer money through Stripe. And so they probably have a limitation on certain businesses that, you know, don't have any, I, I don't know. I'm just speculating now, but I'm wondering why they would select just that group if, if they're just a payment processor. It says when payment companies like Stripe actually take the time to look at our work and services, it's clear that we aren't making false promises or trying to scam anyone. In my case, I was able to get my account reactivated simply by contacting the company and talking openly about my work, indicating that in some capacity, Stripe already recognizes the metaphysical businesses are not inherently high risk. When individual workers and small businesses have to bounce between platforms and payment processors, it can be incredibly difficult to keep income consistent and to hold on to clients. I was booted from Stripe a third time in spring 2021. Yeah, here's the thing. If you get too many chargebacks, you're going to get booted. Uh, Stripe doesn't really give a shit. If you're a tarot card reader, a palm reader, uh, a Wiccan priestess, or whatnot, what they care about is if you're getting chargebacks. And if you're getting chargebacks, that's a signal that you're not providing good service. So if you've... Uh, been booted three times in the spring of 2021. Anyway, when Substack came under fire for their controversial Substack Pro program, oh, I had begun looking into other platforms, hoping to shift my newsletter to a service that offered better protections against hate speech. In setting up an account with Ghost, no pun intended, and integrating my existing Stripe account, I was once again flagged as a restricted business. Right, because Stripe's not stupid. <laughs> you, they don't want you using them. And this time, no matter how many emails I sent, I couldn't convince them to let me stay. In spite of never processing a single refund from an unhappy customer, I had only a few days to inform my readers and clients before my account was shut down. Six months later, I was struggling to make up the income I lost. 
So it's it's hard out there for a for a priestess, y'all. Just like about three four years ago, you know, like what was the conventional method? I mean, you would fill up the forms, you would apply. It would just hundreds of questions: what you're going to be transacting, what is your product, and all that. And you know, if there was no physical product and it was just a service, it would take you ages to get the authorization on the merchant account. Before all this square and stripe and all that like popped up. I mean, literally, it was just, you know, the, the most difficult part for any SME to get the merchant account to start processing payments. Um, and now, I mean, obviously, it's totally understandable that, you know, if there's going to be chargebacks, then, um, you know, <laughs> the processor doesn't want to go through that all hassle. Um, just literally about four or five years ago, like if, if there was no physical product involved and you were just talking about the actual service and it, legit service I'm talking about, like sometimes like, you know, streaming channels, uh, which is just like, you know, I'm not talking about the main players, but if you are, you know, streaming a channel and you're charging your subscribers for like, you know, $10 a month, um, you know, the the merchant would have a trouble actually authorizing you. So now, I mean, I don't know what, what they're complaining about, seriously. <laughs> well, here, here's what they're complaining about. It says... Um... These companies need to be held accountable, added Sarah Calvarse from the 8th House. If they don't support metaphysical businesses, they need to clearly state that up front in the onboarding process, not bury it in the fine print of the terms of use. Indeed, if Stripe is unwilling to support metaphysical businesses, they need to be much clearer about it from the jump. But overlooking a growing industry, particularly one with such high number of marginalized people, a lot of minorities in the metaphysical business, and now you're discriminating against minorities. In short-sighted, oh, it is short-sighted, discriminatory, and unfair. Instead, Stripe should take the time to expand their understanding of the occult business world and adjust their policies to better separate out the scammers, you know, from the really good palm readers. But wouldn't this Granted, there's scam palm readers. Though? Right? Like, what would be the expectation on Stripe then to evaluate really anything that's not actually product oriented? And I would say we've used, my foundation has used Stripe for a year, I don't know, for probably six years maybe. I don't remember it being egregious at all to apply and get our credentials to to use it at, um, at the point of sale, whether it was a small fundraiser or a large gala. Um, we process tons of transactions that way, and it's it's no goods or services, right? You're donating to a nonprofit, but how do they? You know, there's a lot of shady nonprofits out there too. I think one really good product from this drive would be escrow account, like Upwork style. That you know, people would just like park the money and say, and then once the customer is happy, they can actually release the money. And so you know, there there's a much need for something like this to be in a uh, you know, in a retail business, um, that would be a great service if that mm. somebody can actually look into it. Hmm. Okay. The next one is. Oh, is it thirty minutes already? Oh, Jesus! It's one hour already. My God, that went fast. So, hello, everybody. My name's Tyler. I'm a tech newser, and we want your help. So please click on the little link above my head and answer 
one very incredibly simple question. What time should we start tech news around the world each day for you? What time would you like to see it start? Please let us know by clicking the link, typing in the number so that we can better, hopefully, uh, suit your needs. Thank you very much. The next one is from CNBC that in 2018, oh my God, just a, just a warning, trigger warning for myself. I'm, this, these articles trigger me. <laughs> articles like these really get me riled up, y'all. Here it is, CNBC. In 2018, Oculus' Jason Rubin, who's not the CEO, who, just keep that in mind. He's an employee at Oculus. In, so it should say in 2018, somebody at Oculus sent a paper to Facebook executives laying the foundation, well, according to the headline, laying the foundation for Meta's ambitions and detailing the need to own the VR market. You ready? Actually, let me let me crack this one open. Here we go, CNBC. Let's, let's do this one, Cheryl, if we can. You're not gonna, watch, watch how ridiculous this is. This is a masterclass in jihad journalism. Here we go. Let's do this together. Facebook's meta mission was laid out in a 2018 paper. Now, let's pause right there because what happened is the journalists at CNBC, Salvador Rodriguez, dove into the dumpster of documents and pulled one out, covered a little bit of yogurt, a little bit of marinara sauce, you know, wiped it off, and said, I think I got something here. I, I found one. I got a document from 2018 written by somebody who worked um, who worked at uh, Facebook. And this person named Jason Rubin. And we need to, just because, you know, we're tech news around the world, we're going to find out who the WTF is Jason Rubin from Facebook. Let's find out here what his role was in 2018. Let's see if we, oh, oh, we found his LinkedIn profile. So what was his role in 2018? So according to his LinkedIn profile, in 2018, he was a VP of A&R VR Partnerships and Content. Managing the newly combined AR VR partnerships and content teams and expanding my previous VR focus under the Oculus brand to support augmented reality and other future technologies developed at Facebook. So, yep, in 2018, oh, sorry, we, yeah, he was a, well, in, Interim head of marketing for Oculus. Okay. Then he was a VP of content, but he was a VP of A&R VR, augmented reality, virtual reality partnerships. So he's in charge of partnerships at Oculus when he wrote this article. Keep that in mind, right? He's got uh, senior vice presidents, executive vice presidents, and the CEO all above him at the company. Keep that in mind. Because this article doesn't want you to know that. They want you to think he runs the show. He does not. So, back to the article where it says, I remind you, the headline again, Facebook's VR mission, which is meta, v Facebook's meta mission was laid out in a 2018 paper. No, it was laid out by a dude who is not the boss of the VR company Oculus. 
and he sure as hell isn't Mark Zuckerberg. So Facebook did not lay out the mission in 2018 because the person who did this is uh, not a general in this army. Right? So it goes on to say, and the reason that they thought this article was interesting was because of some of the short little phrases that this person used in their document, such as, we believe that the right way to break through consumer indifference to VR is to deliver what they expect and want from the medium, which is the metaverse. Reads the first slide of a 50-page document outlining a strategy for building a virtual world by some somewhat random dude and a huge company several years ago. The three-year-old document obtained by CNBC laid out the foundation for the futuristic ambitions of Meta. Zuckerberg told viewers that the company sees the metaverse, da, 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 the, and here's another quote. The metaverse is ours to lose, reads one of the first section heads in Rubin's paper. He went on to say that Facebook started thinking about the concept of the metaverse as a way to appeal to general consumers because VR wasn't broadly popular. And then CNBC, who actually is still trying to be journalists, they're a huge TV network, they contacted this guy, Mr. Rubin, to let him know, hey, we found a document of yours in a dumpster somewhere from 2018, and we're actually going to write a story about it. Would you care to comment about that document? And he's like, what document? I've written thousands of documents since 2018. Which one are you talking about? Like this one, he says, "Oh, that one. Oh, uh, well, there, here's his quote. Um, a lot of people had visions for the metaverse at the time, and there were various documents that were floating around with various opinions." Ruben said, "I wanted to get mine out there. That's how we create things here at Facebook. Uh, there's a lot of ideas, a lot of people, and they kind of boil up. I'd like to think that some of it was useful." Now, somehow they took that. And came up with the headline, Facebook's meta mission was laid out in a 2018 paper. Okay. And that's, now you know we're at the very bottom of the, of the dumpster of documents whole Facebook files of all of these thousands and thousands of files that Miss Frances Hogan spent an extra month staying at Facebook so that she could, you know, dig nice and deep into that dumpster and dig out all the files. And now this is what we're able to share. We, we've now come to the end of the Facebook files. I think we found the last little patch of a spoonful of yogurt in a half-eaten container. I think we found the last bit of valuable headlines we could possibly squeeze out of this lemon. So, the next one is from um, Utah-based Award Co., which makes HR software, raises $65 million. Facebook AI unveils open-source tactile tech, including a robot skin and high-resolution robot fingertip sensors to impart a sense of touch to robots. 
that's cool shit, y'all. That's super crazy cool stuff. So let's read this one. Here, let's, let me, uh, you see this one, Cheryl? Yes, there you go. There it is. Facebook is enabling a new generation of touchy-feely robots. The company's AI research lab has created an entire suite of tax textile tactile technologies without a sense of touch frankenstein's monster monster would never have realized that fire bad and we would have had an unstoppable reanimated killing machine on our hands so be thankful for the most underappreciated of your five senses the one that robots may soon themselves enjoy facebook's announced on monday that it had developed a suite of tactile technologies that will impart a sense of touch into robots that the mad doctor could never imagine. But why is Facebook even bothering to look into robotics research at all? Here's a quote. Before I joined Facebook, I was chatting with Mark Zuckerberg and I asked him, is there any area related to AI that you think we shouldn't be working on? Says Jan LeCun, Facebook's chief AI scientist, recalled, recalled during a recent press call. And he said, I can't find any good reason for us to work on robotics. So that was the start of our Facebook AI research um, that we're not going to work on robotics. Then after a few years, he continued, it became clear that a lot of interesting progress in AI work is happening in the context of robotics because there's a nexus of where people in AI research are trying to get to the full loop of perception, reasoning, planning, and action, and then getting feedback from the environment. As such, uh, the Facebook AI research called FAIR, F-A-F-A-I-R, has centered its tactile technology research on four main areas of study, hardware, simulation, processing, and perception. We've already seen FAIR's hardware efforts, a low-cost, compact, high-resolution tactile sensor. The Facebook first announced in 2020, unlike conventional tactile sensors, which typically rely on capacitive or restorative or resistive methods, Digit is actually vision-based. Inside the sensors, there's a camera. There are RGB LEDs placed around the silicon, and then there's the silicon gel. Whenever we touch the silicon on an object, this is going to create shadows or changes in color cues that are then recorded by the caller. And these little sensors cost $15 to produce. Being open source hardware, its production schematics are available to universities and research institutions with fabrication capabilities. It is also available for sale thanks to a partnership with Gelsight to researchers who can't build their own. And it shows a robotic hand reaching into a carton of eggs and pulling out a single egg. And it says, in terms of simulation, which allows machine learning systems to train in a virtual environment without the need to collect heaps of real-world hardware data, uh, FAIR has developed Tacto. The system can generate hundreds of frames of realistic high-resolution touch readings per second, as well as simulate vision-based tactile sensors like digits so that researchers don't have to spend hours upon hours tapping on sensors to create a compendium of real-world training data. That's fantastic. That's holy shit awesome. Because, as the next paragraph says, today, if you want to use reinforcement learning, for example, to train a car to drive itself, it would have to do, it would have to, it would have, it would have to it, it would have to it, would have to be done in your, this is really 
a huge typo, clearly. It would have to be done in your turn environment because it would have to drive for millions of hours because you know countless thousands of accidents and destroy itself multiple times before it burns its way around and even then it probably won't be very reliable. So how is it that humans are capable of learning to drive a car within 10 to 20 hours of practice with hardly any supervision? It's because by the time we turn 16 or 17, we have a pretty good model of the world. We inherently understand the implications of what would happen if we drove a car off a cliff because we have nearly two decades of experience with the concept of gravity as well as that of fucking around and finding out. So how to get machines to learn that model of the world that allows them to predict events and plan what's going to happen as a consequence of their actions is really the crux of the problem. Yep, it's the- and so that this is where this is where it gets super interesting because the idea is that people won't have to build everything from the ground up that you'll be able to have the learning of the AIs is going to become far more human-like. And the by the way, the sensors on these robot fingers, the, the ability to pick up an egg without cracking it, that requires a really keen degree of touch response to know the right amount of sensitivity to lift it without cracking it. And as they show in this demo, and... The other amazing thing is the idea that the senses of that robotic hand can be sensed at a distance by somebody on the other side of the planet. And that the the uh, robot itself can continue to multiply and learn um, in a very accelerated way without everyone who wants to build robotic arms having to do everything from the start. Chris? Chris, were you there? Did I? Did he just jump out? I thought I heard Chris jump in. Okay, so then um, hold on one second here. We've got a bunch of people raising hands here. Sharon's back. Okay. Alrighty. So uh, it's a really interesting article, and it goes on for quite a long ways. Um, and they give other really interesting examples, and you can see it at the top of the room there. Hey, Tyler. Or on the Twitter account at TNATW. Yes. I remember about six months hey, ago I said I it's probably more likely that, that having clones be drivers is easier than developing AI from the ground up that could do this job. And I'm still betting that that's the case. I think it'll happen a lot faster. Specifically for what you just said, you, if you if you were to clone a human, you could literally train them in less time to do that same job. Got some breaking news coming in here from the DMs. Where's Johan? I'm always here <laughs> on your left side. Okay, sir. Uh, All right. Uh, country. We don't use cash. We use cards. We use some uh, a cash app named Swish. And uh, since this morning, uh, all the six major banks in Sweden has been uh, experiencing, let's call it, troubles or problems. 
with gifts by hand that you can't buy a train ticket, you can't buy your uh, cappuccino at your espresso house, you can't do shit, you can't even pay your bills, you can't check your bank accounts, you can't do nothing. And of course, there's a huge outroar uh, about this one that all the banks fall off the planet at the same time. Apparently, we have some common infrastructure for all these banks. So this will be an interesting end of day when we get, finally get some results in all the root cause analysis that is progressing right now. You wanna? Yes, uh, I'll reiterate that. Uh, Sweden does not use cash. I've been there for a decade. I've never touched cash. And the banks are down. I mean, cash exists, right? I mean, so people can like go find mm, some cash. I don't know if it does. We, we, we have we have cash, but you don't use it. Uh, seriously. It, it... As a matter of fact, there's a lot of business who refuse to accept it. For example, Starbucks and Burger King will refuse to yeah, accept try it. Try McDonald's. And the thing is, if you go to a fair, uh, they they have signs. They have signs that say we do not everywhere. accept cash. The thing is, if you go to a country fair, all of them uh, accept cards, or rather, they they prefer Swish nowadays, the cash app app. So so the thing is, if I go to a hockey a hockey match with, with the kids, uh, I don't need to bring any cash at all. But in fact, I don't think I've had a cash note in my hand this year at all. No, I haven't. No, no, I have, I haven't, ha I haven't had any in my hand in a decade. There, so it's so. This is like the most cashless society on earth. That's just, just statistically. Yeah, so could, uh, could you explain for the short bus person what exactly technically happened, and then when will it be back online, and then what is the key learning from this? We don't I don't think they yet. know yet. The, the root causes. The thing. The first. The, the first thing was that it was an attack. And then we, we start looking at the, the, the infrastructure for the central networks in Sweden. Uh, and we can't see any attacks. We can't see anything. But the thing is that the, we, the banks are not interconnected anymore. Or rather, they are, by, but only momentarily. And the thing is that, so, so yeah, we don't know. And I'm part of, the, I'm part of trying to, to actually find out what is actually happening. Because we have actually no fucking idea. Sorry for that one. You heard of Bitcoin that's never been down? Yeah, it's gonna. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tyler, have we if we have what enough this, uh, cyber so... attacks and enough of this stuff, cash is gonna make a comeback across the world, because we, people, you know, I, I mean, yep. I, I know a lot of people, including myself, who always keep some cash around just in case of a situation like this. What about international payments and wire transfers I'm also... and business to business? Is that all down too? Like, I mean, that's the kind of yes. The business business. So this is one major attack on the fiat system. Yeah, in Sweden right now, you can't. You, I can't pay my company's bills. I I can't pay for my the ticket. I can't do just anything. I can't even log on to the Handelsbanken, which is one of the major business banks. It's not possible to actually. You reach the homepage, but you can't use the identification, the the bank ID we we use to towards them. We can't so let's, let's, let's game this out. What, what happens, you know, uh, one day, one week, one month into that? I mean, how, how long before the economy just completely breaks down? I, I, I would guess that, that uh, everybody is just uh, 
still in the boat. I have no idea how it goes for the stock exchange. I know someone on stage that perhaps can take a peek at that to see if there are any, because that's apparently uh, Sachs, which is the 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 the, the stocks uh, are apparently still running. But but the thing is here that yeah, this might be uh, something that gives us a headache a couple of months, weeks ahead. Yeah, this, uh, is, usual, this sounds like a rehearsal. Always, with fight, always someone to blame in the end round. Yeah, the the transportation and the food will be the first. I mean, water will. Well, no, Sweden can drink tap water all day long. In fact, it's better than most bottled water in most countries. But um, the so they've got plenty of water. Um, they can use the home heating systems. That's not a problem. Um, the purchasing of food is going to be, and the transportation is going to be the, the first two major burdens. Apparently, I just looked at the, the, uh, the, one of the major gasoline stations, and they say that they accept all cards for now, yeah, but only for, for a limited amount of money, 400 kronas is what they accept, because they can't... They can't the tr- the trains and the buses would let everyone go for free. Like that's yeah, that's all. That's all. That's happened. fairly obvious here in Gothenburg, at least. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't. The, the government would say let everyone ride the buses and trains for free. Like no questions asked. And that wouldn't. That would happen in a heart. That would happen instantly. That so the transportation isn't that big of an issue. It'd really come down to food. And by the way, you can get anywhere in Sweden on the public transportation. They build the cities around the public transportation. Um, so mobility wouldn't be an issue. It's really just the food that would really be the issue. It's going to be a very interesting to watch how Sweden handles this because I think they'll, they would handle it way better than a lot of other countries that aren't even fully cash. Oh. So is this yeah, a rehearsal? Well, you know, yeah. It's just kind of interesting. Um, because there's some, uh, if we look at the pattern of things that have gone on from the utility hits that we've taken here and this. I'm just looking for international patterns, not trying to come up with a conspiracy, just looking at international patterns and figure out how to vest off of that. Thank you. Yeah, if, if this goes really bad, I will speak Russian by Friday. <laughs> Nazarovia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, how do you say make yourself at home in Sweden, in Russian? Um, so, yeah, uh, the next article is the, uh, a company called Slash Next, which offers AI driven anti-phishing services for enterprise, raises 26 million, India-based grocery delivery, Zepto emerges from stealth with 60 million, YouTube's mistaken deletion of a channel belonging to UK news outlet. Nova, Novaria Media draws criticism over the company's power as a content regulator. And here you have the New York Times criticizing YouTube for removing content. And that's confusing because generally it's the New York Times saying YouTube doesn't remove enough content from the right, namely Breitbart Media. And here, YouTube has removed Navarra Media, and you, and the headline from the New York Times is, 
uh, how a mistake by YouTube shows its power over media. Novara, a London news group, fell victim to YouTube's opaque and sometimes arbitrary enforcement of its rules. Which we hate when it's our left-leaning media, but boy, we still want them to cancel all of those right media channels because, uh, you know, can't have that freedom of speech thing happening in the, in the U.S. of A. So, um, not, not, not appearing to be too evenly keeled there, New York Times. The next one is that Apple's $19 polishing cloth has become its most backordered new product with shipments delayed until mm-hmm. January. And Beijing-based Hus, a SaaS provider that helps e-commerce businesses manage orders and more, raises $312 million from SoftBank. And so a quick refresh to see, ah, a review of the new $200 Beats Fit Pros from The Verge says that it's comfortable with very good active noise cancellation and transparency mode, but no wireless charging and little Android support. And we covered uh, two more quick ones here from VentureBeat. When I work which is a company which helps businesses manage shift scheduling, time sheets, and more. It raises $200 million. And uh, Mosaic, which makes software to automate construction planning, raises $44 million. And there you go. Um, now we get to get into the tweets. Before we get into the tweets, are we at? no, we'll wait till the next top of the hour to bring the link back. So... Evan, what's this new one you just sent in about a high-speed laser writing method? Yeah, this this new uh, data storage, uh, you know, technology that's been invented. Five hundred terabytes of data on a small glass disk. So just amazing. The advances happening in data storage, which are needed, you know, for all that juicy data. Yes, high-speed laser writing method could pack 500 terabytes of data into a CD-sized glass disk. Which is, why not just call it a, a, a glass yeah, CD? It's like I mean, a, if it's CD-sized. CD-ROM, like a mini CD-ROM looking thing. So yeah, I guess CD-ROM. 500 terabyte CD. That's a lot of is data. Mini, wasn't it like a mini uh, CD, little small ones though? Uh, it's a new format, but yeah, it's like a, um, it looks like a mini CD ROM. They're, they're talking about voxels, so it looks like me... they're writing in 3D, which is, I think, probably the major breakthrough. They're writing in layers, not just flat. Unless, unless somebody demonstrates smearing it in jam and rubbing it off, then I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> So Evan has this other one, up, ironically, about Sweden. Sweden launches green catamaran to cut shipping emissions. And if, uh, looking at the photo, which you can see above my head, it looks like it's uh, got a ton of solar panels on the top of it. And that so would be incredibly cool. Design, which was basically a container ship with sails. Remember that one a few months ago? Sweden seems to be really ramping up its yeah. uh, nautical engineering trucks. You have no idea. Well, not only that, but just in terms of green tech, Sweden, without a doubt, is a leader in green tech. 
we have a, a massive, um, it's a miniature campus for startup entrepreneurs and investors exclusively for green tech called Norwen, which is the Swedish word for the uh, Northern Lights or Aurora Borealis. Um, it's a f- gorgeous facility, and it was started by um, a friend of mine who left. He was one of the co-founders of Klarna, Nicholas. And Nicholas left as a co-founder of Klarna because he had made more money than he could ever spend in his lifetime, and he wanted to do Norwin to because he thought we need to have more entrepreneurs solving the real important problems. So he built this gorgeous miniature campus for them and uh they're there and that's the whole eco the home of the ecosystem for green tech and now they built another one in i want to say nairobi or uh somewhere near nairobi jolly something like that just real quick wait hold on so 500 terabyte in a mini glass disc size thing I know, and we just discussed it, but that, that's a that's a big game changer when it comes to phones. If that thing could be installed in a phone, I mean, if it be, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my phone right now. A small disk size, five hundred terabytes in your phone. It's, it's a game. It's probably yeah. It would probably it would depend right on the read write speed though. I suspect haven't read it properly yet, but I suspect it's right yeah. once archival style. The people laughed at Apple for having that one terabyte option. That's right. But but you know this is a. Uh, Obviously, uh, game changer. So the world's first emission-free high-speed catamaran with an integrated battery and hydrogen-based fuel cell system is planned for commercial traffic in Stockholm. It's called Echandia. has signed an agreement to supply the world's first emission-free high-speed catamaran for Green City Ferries, the installation will take place in the second half of 2022, and the agreement is worth approximately $1.6 million. So you could go to sea in this thing, grow your own food, and never come back to port. Be a fun uh, use case. And, and it's uh, they're from the north of Stockholm. Okay, ships are responsible for roughly 3% of global CO2. If you took, if you look at public transport in Stockholm, the fleet of vessels accounts for around five percent of energy consumption, but around fifty percent of carbon dioxide emissions annually, according to uh, some Stockholm agency. Green City Ferries' goal is to switch to emission-free and fast waterborne transport in the world's cities. Their plan starts in Stockholm with the support of. Um, the European Union. Before initializing final production stages, Green City Ferries will secure additional external financing. Magnus Eriksson, the CEO, says Sweden has been lagging behind internationally when it comes to electrifying shipping, but now the pace is increasing here as well. We are proud to be part of this project and not only contributes to reducing emissions from Stockholm's waterborne local transport, but is also the first in the world with an emission-free high-speed catamaran. The ferry will be equipped with an integrated system with both batteries and hydrogen, which is significantly more energy efficient compared to solutions with separate systems. It's a very cool looking catamaran. Okay, thank you for that one, Evan. And so the next one is from Lucast. 
that tech, let me, let me share this with you in the top of the room here. And I, hopefully the image will come up. Wouldn't this be nice? Uh, just a link, unfortunately. It says DJI, the maker of drones, a Chinese company that makes drones. Uh, DJ Action 2 is their new GoPro competitor. And it's very much like a GoPro, but about half the size of a GoPro. And the, the DJ Action 2 versus GoPro Hero 10 Black, which is the best camera for you? How do DJI and GoPro's latest action cameras compare? Well, right off the top, the DJ Action 2 looks to be, have a much bigger lens and a much smaller body. And, and cheaper. It's 56 kilograms to GoPro's 156 or 176 kilograms. So it'll likely... For anyone who wants to, you know, go surfing, put it on a drone, all kinds of things, hiking, put it on your hat, uh, as yeah, as like a car camera or a motorcycle camera on your helmet. Go, go, GoPro really needs Hard some competition in this arena, by the way. Um, they've dominated for so long now. Um, a lot of their, te I mean, the, the, the latest version 10, um, they've finally updated some of the chips that have been around, the same chips since version 6. Um, their software is buggy as hell. Their cloud storage is atrocious and has a 500 kilobyte upload limit. It's extremely slow. Um, and they've got away with a lot of these in the overpricing, uh, the overheating issues, the, 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 the laggy OS on the, on the cameras because there's no competition, um, at least none that are, that are priced competitively. So crossing my fingers for this. Okay, and Professor Ossoff sends in an article about a, a systematic review and meta-analysis data sets provide strong evidence that low vitamin D is a predictor of COVID-19 mortality risk and correlates inversely with vitamin status. He says, smart people get your vitamin D booster dose from your doctor. Or it could be easier than that. You just take supplements. They're quite readily available. And... Oh, speaking of Sweden and transportation, the Jetson 1, a personal electric aerial vehicle that anyone can own and fly if you have $92,000, um, can fly up to 1,500 meters high. That's crazy high for a drone, that you, especially one you can sit in. And it's more than 60 miles per hour for 20 minutes. That's the device I've been waiting for right there. I was actually emailing with them because they're from Stockholm. But he won't be able to join my event, unfortunately. The next one is Trump's $300 million SPAC deal may have skirted security laws. Just days after Donald Trump left the White House, two former contestants on his reality show, The Apprentice, approached him with a pitch. Wes Moss and Andy Latinsky wanted to create a conservative media outlet. Mr. Trump was taken with the idea, but he had to figure out how to pay for it. This month, the former president found a way. He agreed to merge his social media venture with what's known as a SPAC. The result is that Mr. Trump largely shut out of the mainstream financial industry 
because of his history of bankruptcies and loan defaults, secured nearly $300 million in funding for his new business. To get the deal done, Trump ventured into an unregulated and sometimes shadowy corner of Wall Street, working with an unlikely cast of characters, the former apprentice contestants, a small Chinese investment firm, and a little-known Miami banker named Patrick Orlando. Mr. Orlando had been discussing the deal with Trump since at least March, according to people familiar with the talks and a confidential investor presentation reviewed by the New York Times. That was well before his SPAC, Digital World Acquisition, made its debut on the Nasdaq Stock Exchange last month. In doing so, Mr. Orlando's SPAC may have skirted securities laws and stock exchange rules, lawyers said. SPACs sell their shares to investors through an initial public offering and then find a private company with which to merge. Because SPACs are empty vessels, stock exchanges allow them to list their shares without disclosing much financial information, but that creates opportunities for SPACs to serve as backdoor vehicles for companies to go public without receiving the kind of investor scrutiny they would in traditional listings. To prevent that, SPACs aren't supposed to have a merger planned at the time of their IPO. Lawyers and industry officials said that talks between Mr. Orlando and Mr. Trump or their associates, consequently, could draw scrutiny from the SEC. Another issue is that Digital World Securities filings repeatedly stated that the company and its executives had not engaged in any substantive discussions, directly or indirectly, with a target company, even though Mr. Orlando had been in discussions with Mr. Trump. (laughs) Oh, you got yourself in a little Chinese handcuffs here. Given the politically fraught nature of the deal with Mr. Trump, securities lawyers said that Digital World's lack of disclosure around those conversations would be considered an omission of material information. Financial financial markets are premised on trust, says Mike Stegmoller, a finance professor at Baylor University who studies SPACs. If these disclosures are not true, no one wants to participate in the markets that aren't fair. Lawyers for Trump Media and Technology Group didn't respond to requests for comment. A spokesperson for Mr. Trump referred questions to the company, whose representatives include Mr. Latinsky and Mr. Moss, did not return requests for comments. Yeah, it looks like they could be in some doo-doo. They might... I wonder what, what... can I wonder if they might go so far as to shut it down? That would be wild. Okay. Um, well, the next one is from Sharok that LinkedIn reports crypto and blockchain job listings have surged 615%. The, the LinkedIn said that financial services firms were expected to hire more than three times as many staff with experience in digital assets than last year. 6X. That's a boom. And what else do we got here? Um, oh, here's the next one from Sharok. Signal which is a app for people to have end-to-end encrypted conversations. Beautiful app, by the way, highly recommended. Um, this is a really interesting case that's developing. A grand jury subpoena for signal user data from the Central District of California. Signals, the, here's the problem. 
the grand jury subpoena is asking for, Signal doesn't have. They never collected from their users. So Signal is writing a blog post. Here it is. I'll link it to the top of the room for your convenience. And it says, Signal still knows nothing about you. But inexplicably, the government continues to ask. Because everything in Signal is end-to-end -end encrypted by default, the broad set of personal information that is typically easy to retrieve in other apps simply doesn't exist on Signal's servers. Once again, this subpoena requested a wide variety of information we don't have, including the target's name, address, correspondence, contacts, groups, calls. As usual, we couldn't provide any of that. It's impossible to turn over data that we never had access to in the first place. Signal doesn't have access to your messages, your chat list, your groups, your contacts, your stickers, your profile name or avatar, or even the gifts you search for. As a result, our response to the subpoena will look familiar. It's the same set of account and subscriber information that we can provide, which is the Unix timestamps. Forget the word Unix there, just timestamps for when each account was created and the date that each account last connected to Signal to use the service. That's it. They only have two pieces of data. When the account was made, they don't even know the name of it, and when it was last active. That's it. We like to thank the ACLU for their untiring and en enduring assistance, particularly our council. We also like to thank everyone who uses Signal. Our commitment to you remains unchanged. This this isn't the first time, by the way. And then they show the letter. Different districts that have come after them, uh, different yeah. states that have come after them, and they've basically given the same response every time. Look, we keep a randomized hash of the user, the ID, and then a couple of sort of uh, timestamp metadata, but but that's it. And then what's interesting in that subpoena, if you you just go into, it, I mean, interesting to me because I've never really gone through your subpoena before, but just the the language that was used by the FBI. Uh, operative that was issuing it, where they were saying that um, we'd like any accounts that that are that have this name or have this date of birth or have this telephone number, which is a very vague sort of set of filters by which to request data for in the first place, and then ending it with we would like you to tell nobody about this because if you release the fact that the if you release information about the existence of the subpoena. Um, it will, it will, uh, it will affect the, the the course of justice. So you know, basically saying at the end there, you know, are you a patriot? You should keep this hush hush between us. The fact that we're trying to get this this set of confidential data. So the next one is from Poppy that Rome and Nice, in France and Venice. Uh, and other airports join forces to build electric vertical takeoff and landing airports called Voloports or Vertiports. A new company called Urban Blue has been launched by airports in Rome, Nice, Venice, and Bologna to accelerate e electric vertical takeoff and landing infrastructures internationally. Bring it on. Let's do this. Flying cars, everybody. The next one is also about Venice. And you might need these uh, vertical takeoff and landings uh, vehicles sooner than you think because sea level rise will kill Venice by 2100. So by the end of this century, thus 80, no, 79 years from now, 
sea level rise will kill Venice. Scientists, historians, and writers are lobbying Mario Draghi to create a new authority to protect the city from rising waters. And David Crace sends in this one that CrossFit to launch fully digital primary care service. The fitness company CrossFit will join other startups in offering direct-to-consumer virtual care services in addition to precision health and preventative medicine. Here it comes. Startups getting into health. And Digital health. Thing about Venice, I, I was occupied. I couldn't dive in there. The thing is that they have actually found a Roman road that is 2,000 years old in the, the bay just outside of Venice. And the depth to the road is 11 meters. So two and a half thousand years ago, the, 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 the uh, bay where, where you have all these uh, cruise ships ending up nowadays, it was a road uh, going across there. And two and a half thousand years in the long perspective is not such a long time. Uh, but so this with, with the uh, sea crawling upwards, uh, something have been going on for quite a while. You weren't done. Okay, next up. Um, leaked photos of Facebook's Meta smartwatch shows camera notch retweeting it to the Twitter account. And now putting it at the top of the room. Here we go. There it goes. Let's hope it goes through. There's the link to Engadget. Let's see what this thing looks like. There it is. Looks like an Apple Watch with a flat screen, but rounded corners. In addition to having rounded corners and a camera, the smartwatch appears to have stainless steel casing and detachable straps. Uh, according to Bloomberg, Meta is hoping to launch a smartwatch as early as 2022, but nothing has been finalized yet. Further, Facebook's parent company is reportedly already working on three generations of products that will be released at different times. Okay, thank you for that one. And Lucas shares this one, that China's new quantum computer has one million times the power of Google's quantum computer. Researchers in China claim to have created a quantum computer that sorely outclasses Google's Sycamore. But there's far to go before it hits markets. And, whoa, sorry about that. The next one is from Monica, that WhatsApp is offering 51 rupees. How much is 51 rupees to... USD. It's about 68 cents. Okay. So WhatsApp is offering about 68 cents cash back as it takes on Google Pay and others in India. And that's interesting. As predicted by me in this room, WhatsApp, the chat app, is now becoming a fintech app. They want to compete with Google Pay in India. This feature is currently available to WhatsApp beta users on Android. You can get the cash back up to five times. And by sending money to different contacts, WhatsApp has started offering the cash back with no limit on the amount sent. This feature is currently available to WhatsApp beta users on Android. So just for those who don't know, this is because WhatsApp is one of the world's biggest communication apps. And 
their competitor in China called WeChat, which with a similar kind of name and a similar kind of logo has made the transition from a messaging app to a finance app. In fact, it's the main way people pay for things in China to each other or to even to businesses and and for transferring the money and whatnot. And then once you have that financial layer built into the app, then you can start to do all kinds of crazy cool shit like adding on Uber, like a ride sharing and buying of anything, buying and selling of all kinds of stuff, e-commerce, you name it, because you have the finance built right into the app. And so then the app uh, becomes what's called a super app. And then the app becomes a platform. And then the app says, hey, Uber, we have a we have tons of users over here on WhatsApp, billions. Why don't you plug into our billions of users and allow them when they're chatting with somebody? Uh, do you want to meet for lunch? Maybe we could put a little thing there that says, you know, you could book a ride right here right now on Uber. And how about we split that money, y'all? And you've always wondered, didn't you, how WhatsApp was going to make money? And now, you know, they're going to become a super app platform, just like their competitor in China did years ago. So the next one is um, Squid Game cryptocurrency scammers make off with $2.1 million. The Squid Coin scam was covered uncritically by mainstream news outlets. The anonymous hucksters behind the Squid Game cryptocurrency have officially pulled the rug on the project, making off with $2.1 million. Remember on Friday morning when Gizmodo, Gizmodo told you it was an obvious scam? It was only obvious because investors could purchase the crypto but couldn't sell it. But plenty of people did, didn't get the warning in time. The squid cryptocurrency peaked at a price of $2,861 before plummeting to zero, according to CoinMarketCap. This kind of theft, commonly called a rug pull by crypto investors, happens when the creators of the crypto quickly cash out their coins for real money, draining the liquidity pool from the exchange. People really haven't studied the Dutch uh, tulip <laughs> debacle, right? <laughs> Squid CryptoCoin was launched just last week and included plenty of red flags, including a three-week-old website filled with bizarre spellings and grammatical errors. The website hosted at squidgame.cash has disappeared, along with every other social media presence set up by the scammers you can see an archived version of the website here other red flag other red flags included the fact that squid's telegram channel set up by the unknown scammers didn't allow comments from outsiders and the twitter account made it impossible for anyone to reply to posts but the biggest the biggest red flag was that no one who purchased the coin was able to sell that didn't stop mainstream news outlets like BBC, Yahoo News, Business Insider, Fortune, and CNBC from running headlines about how the new Squid Game cryptocurrency had soared by 83,000% over just a few days. This is just the latest example of scammers utilizing pop culture to get media attention. A similar rug pull occurred earlier this month with Mando, a cryptocurrency that used images of Disney Plus's Mandalorian TV show without permission from Disney. Does this mean that investors have finally learned their lesson and won't invest in shady nope. cryptocurrency projects anymore? Nope. 
<laughs> Hell no, that seems unlikely. Scam artists love the crypto space because it's incredibly difficult to differentiate the scammers from someone who's earnestly trying to create a legitimate cryptocurrency, perhaps because the idea of making your own currency is inherently fraudulent. Okay, then you yep. have to pay some lessons fee for stupidity then. I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that making your own crypto is inherently fraudulent. I mean, I have my own crypto, so. It does, it, you, people do it without fraudulent intention, but people join MLM marketing schemes without fraudulent intention, but the system as a whole, if you stand back from it, is fundamentally gonna make some people rich now at the expense of thousands or millions of people losing yeah, a little bit in the future. It's gambling, gambling and speculation. So, so this is another example of protecting, you know, do we have to protect people from themselves? Because the how the system worked on the squid coin was perfectly laid out in this slightly dodgy white paper, but it did say in there that you can't directly sell the coins. Instead, it was an extremely complex system of where you had to purchase uh, and play for another coin, another token called marbles, and then you had to go through a series of challenges to, to um, win enough marbles to then trade um, to trade into a system where you could then cash out any coins that you had invested in. And it was just a really weird system that actually involved you investing a huge amount of, um, of, moi, uh, of coin to buy the squid coin to then try and win marbles so that you could then trade the marbles, this marble token, back into the, the squid coin. Um, and if you worked it out, it would it, it was very similar. You know the game in the arcades where you have the hand that comes down to pick up a toy, um, and you know that you can go and buy that from Amazon for just you know like fifty cents a dollar. But you're going to stand there and spend like ten, fifteen pounds to grab it because your daughter's streaming. The dopamine, it was that, that kind of system, yeah, exactly. But it, you know, it was it, it was always going to go bad. Um, but the point is, the FOMO was there, and people are actually, if you if you look at the transactions, people are still buying into it. It's like I said, just look back at the Dutch uh, tulip craze and, and this really mirrors that right now. Like, you know, it's just lots of dogpiling. How did the tulip craze end? I mean, I, I know the story, but like what, what brought it all tumbling down? I Chris? think uh, it was just untenable to keep having these values go up for things that were essentially useless. <laughs> We also had this last week with, um, what was it? It was Funware, the, the SPAC, one of the SPACs that was touted to be in league, potentially in league with Trump for his new social media platform. And that skyrocketed from something like half a dollar or whatever, all the way up to $20 and then back down again in, I don't know, like a 24, 48 hour period and crashed down to, I don't know what it's at now, you know, $2 or something like that. But the point is, because... These apps like Robinhood and Trading212 and, and Binance and Coinbase and that kind of thing are really easy to use um, for people who don't know what they're doing and don't want to take the time to do DD. You're going to have the system where there are a few people who do know how to manipulate it and use it, making the money off of people who are just chasing the FOMO train. Okay, speaking of crypto, the next one's from Sharog that the Oculus CTO says that it's unlikely that Meta will totally embrace crypto. Facebook's rebrand signals its firm commitment to driving innovation in the metaverse, but it probably won't be totally crypto friendly. Right. I think it'll be Facebook coin friendly. And if we, if we know anything about Facebook, I think that's a safe bet. 
And then, but that could also be its weakness in a way. The next one is from The Economist that South Koreans are bemused by the global success of Squid Game, yet its theme of social injustice is a globally appealing one. When Squid Game appeared on Netflix in mid-September, many South Korean reviewers were underwhelmed by the homegrown survival drama. They found the characters cliched, the plot unconvincing, and violence gratuitous. The whole thing they complained was too similar to older films such as Japanese Battle Royale which, by the way, had the uh, kids playing red light, green light and being killed if they, uh, you know, didn't follow the rules precisely as this, you know, as a squid game does. Quite interesting. And and adding nothing new to the survival genre with with notwithstanding the striking set design and star studded cast. Even though every genre has its cliches too much in Squid Game reminds you of every other movie you've ever seen, complained one critic. Squid Game, which takes its name from the common Korean schoolyard game, follows a group of debt-ridden losers, blah, blah, blah. Squid Game has taken the world by storm. It's currently the most streamed show on Netflix. The brutality of the competition has also rung true for ordinary South Koreans struggling with unaffordable housing and sluggish labor market. Politicians have been referring to the show when attacking opponents. Yet after a brief spell at the top of the Korean Netflix charts, Squid Game has been overtaken by Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha, another K-drama. The global craze has prompted bemusement in South Korea. Nobody around me understands the global hype, and neither do I, says In Young, a 26-year-old from Seoul, who stopped watching after a couple of episodes because it disturbed her to see her childhood games depicted as brutal struggle for survival. One Korean critic speculates that the combination of violent entertainment with a very on-trend critique of capitalism explains the show's appeal to Western audiences who are used to such themes from American productions such as The Hunger Games, set in dystopian world of grave social injustice. Okay. Hey, Tyler, I thought you'd be so curious. I that one out. Google and a bunch of other and things to try to find any current story on this situation in Sweden with the payment systems not working. I couldn't find one, and I'm sure it's probably in a Swedish newspaper. So you actually have real yep. breaking news here. And believe it or not, the number one banking story, in fact, the top story in the Wall Street Journal right now is about the CEO of Barclays resigning because of his, resign um, his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. But nobody's talking about the payment system on, in Sweden going now, which is amazing. Yeah, the thing is uh, that uh, we, we, we know the mainstream media in Sweden doesn't work. So, sorry. Yeah, you won't find anything about it. Uh, it, it it's, it's being squelched. I can, I, can, I can tweet out a few Swedish links, but they are all in Swedish. And they are on the major newspapers as well. But it doesn't lift the severity of the thing at hand. And this is just usual. Why does Send it me... appear on Twitter? Does it appear on Twitter? Just saying. Just saying. Might in Swedish. Where's Charles anyway, Tyler? Have you heard from him at all? Um, about a week ago, we had an email thread together uh, on a totally unrelated thing. Um, I'm trying to, I'll, I can go to some of the the big Swedish websites here. Let's see. Let's go to break After Blooded doesn't have Let's it. See if they you have need it. to go to Svenska Dagbladet, for example. 
Okay. In the meantime, uh, please click on the link on okay. top to do the survey on what you, when you think uh, tech news around the world should start. You have two choices because we have two sessions. I don't even see it on I SVD. On SVD. Okay. 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 So yeah, so the link at the top of the room is a very quick survey. We ask you to help us pick the best time to do tech news around the world now that the time zones are changing or the, the, the seasonal clocks are changing. Yesterday in Europe and UK and on Sunday in the US. So it's a perfect opportunity to reevaluate when might be ideal based and we'd rather than guess, let's do it in the most democratic way possible. So we would love your input in helping us decide the Can best time the to do the show. Could you check? Well, let's I bet see. it's seven to seven. Yes, nearly. It's nearly, there's currently 177 responses and um, quite out in front is for the first choice, many people's first choice is 7 a.m. UK time. Is that the same or? And in second in second place is 2 p.m. Which is 7 Pacific. UK time. Which is 7 Pacific, right. And then on the second choice, because that's, that's for everybody's first choice. On the second choice, again, you've got 7 a.m. UK time in the lead. And second place would be... 3 p. Oh, uh, well, it just jumped up a lot. Three. Oh, and it's almost going to go to first place. It will go to first place if we let everyone in this room vote right it's now, because now Coast, it's up to baby, 183 votes. So it looks like 3 p.m. UK time, eight. which is what Pacific? It's a delightful hour, Tyler, especially when we're up so late in Europe. It's good. So 8 a.m. So we could do 8 a.m., 7 a.m. UK, 8 a.m. Pacific, yeah, that sounds good. right? That could work. That could work. And then the question is, between, between the two, which one, if we only could do it once a day? So that would go back to the, the voting on the first choice. And currently, there's a lot more folks voting from the UK when we met earlier today in the UK time zone uh, or the European time zone. And now we're more in the American time zone. So we need to know, should we do it at 7 a.m. UK? If we only do it once a day, should we do it at 7 a.m. UK or 2 p.m. UK, which is yep. what again, Chris, 7 a.m. Pacific? And the score is basically 45 to 28 currently. Oh, and we're up to 193 responses already. So um, next one, next article. Well, let's keep the survey going just a little bit longer because there's clearly a lot of people 
figuring out their time zones at the moment. I'll, we'll keep that link there. While I read this next article from Quartz, which says the chip makers are threatening to scrap future U.S. factories if they don't get generous tax breaks. And Intel, Samsung, and TSMC have all threatened to pull the plug on their U.S. factory plans unless government subsidies are on the table. Company executives claim that if they don't get a rich package of incentives and tax breaks, they will build their semiconductor factories elsewhere, effectively ending American ambitions to return chip manufacturing to its shores after ceding the bulk of the market to Taiwan in the 90s. Harvard Business School professor Willie Shi who studies semiconductor supply chains, calls those threats hot air. Regardless of what the U.S. government offers, the company's manufacturers are almost certain to follow through on their plans to build factories in the U.S. to take advantage of the country's skilled workforce and to be close to specialized U.S. equipment manufacturers that churn out many of the tools needed to make cutting-edge semiconductors. But if they can get government subsidies, are they going to try to do it? He said, you bet. Sports teams' owners have mastered the art of playing governments against another to extract a deal or a new stadium. Local governments routinely participate in extravagant races to the bottom to court. Sports teams offering hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer funding to renovate or build stadiums. No matter where the sports teams wind up, they enjoy the benefit of gleaming new facilities at a steep discount. Local residents footing the bill rarely see much of an economic benefit in return. Other industries follow the same playbook. Witness Amazon's drawn-out HQ2 sweepstakes. Now chipmakers are now jockeying. That's, what a weird grammar. Now chipmakers are now jockeying for position after their product has become a vital national asset in short supply. Intel CEO is leading the lobbying by embarking on a global sales trip, meeting with political leaders in the U.S., EU, Germany, France, and Netherlands, and Italy to discuss the possibility of opening a new semiconductor plant in their jurisdictions. In return, he's requesting subsidies for Intel's next plant. Never let a good crisis go to waste, Gesslinger told the Wall Street Journal to negotiate subsidies. TSMC made similar threats before breaking ground on a new $12 billion plant in Arizona, which it intends to fund in part with money from the CHIPS Act. Samsung has made its own plans for a new cutting-edge $17 billion factory in the U.S. contingent on subsidies. Okay, so last call here. Uh, actually, we'll do it again in an hour to remind folks to do the survey at the top of the room to help us pick. We're up to 210 responses. And... Hour, Dr. Oh, boy! In half hour. Oh, so in a half hour, we're ending this room. So in, in a half hour, we will do the last call for submissions here. But it, it's, wow, the 2 p.m. UK, is, which is 7 a.m. Pacific, is at this rate might surpass 7 a.m. Um, UK. And that this is the difficult also, choice. Also, um, Alexandra has a show at 1030 today. She wanted us to remind the, the room about, um, yes, I think she's so busy right now. after Dr. Francine's room. Wow, it's really neck and, and this is going to end up being neck and neck between the EU audience and the American audience, where the and, and Tyler, yeah. it's it's on our honor to vote once, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's why. And by the way, because we do this twice per day, 
and the rooms are fairly equal in sizes. Uh, we're right now we're at f about 450 people in this room. We usually have that's in that same ballpark when we meet in the other time zone, which is the UK morning time zone. And maybe we got to keep doing both. Hey, Tyler, have, yes. do you even know, do you even know, or you probably don't, what's the distribution of the listeners um, just from the United States between the East Coast and West Coast? Because I was just going to send you something. I mean, e even the current times, I mean, are not convenient for, for people on the East Coast because either it's like in the middle of the night on the East Coast yep. or it's like in the middle of their kind of business day on, yep. on the East Coast. So I, I don't know if you've ever ever looked at that, but that's yeah, you know. it's true. I do have a breakdown. So because uh, I send out the audio through Anchor to podcasting apps, so it's on Google Podcasting and Spotify and on all those apps, and Anchor gives me all the data, and it tells me within the U.S., here's the breakdown. It has all the breakdown per country, and so the leading country is the U.S. with 53% of listeners, Canada's 13%. Jeopardy. And Jeopardy time. Okay, here we go. Tech News Jeopardy. Who's listening to tech news around the world? Podcasts in podcast style. First is U.S. with 53%. Canada is second with 13%. Who is third? And fourth and fifth. UK. Sweden. No. Sweden. Sweden is fourth with 5%. Who is third? Tandy. Latin America. No, no, Benjamin. Taiwan. India. Africa. Canada. Canada's second, 13%. Third is Norway with 6%. Followed by Taiwan. <laughs> At 4%, Germany with 3 India with 3 New Zealand with 3 UK with 2 Thailand with 1 That might be me. And you, uh, you, you don't know the Taiwan, breakup. From, but you don't know the U.S. breakup, though, right? You I do. I do. I do know the U.S. breakup. Here we go. Who, which, which state is winning? Uh, California is first with 27%, followed by Virginia with 23%, followed by New York with 11%, and Tennessee with 6%. And so... What? see. <laughs> We're out here, y'all. <laughs> we be doing... They like my southern humor, y'all. And... Uh, it's because of the Dukes of Hazard when you used it's to the, do it. It, it was the know, Dukes of Hazard horn. It was right. attracting them. It was like a, it's like a, a, a moth to a flame. <laughs> the General but, Lee but horn. But Tyler, the podcasts are time delayed because people, people can listen to the pod, podcast Good. whenever they want. So it's very good live, point. Right? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, very different experience listening to it live. And you know, they can't when, read there, so they need to listen to podcasts. I jump back and forth between tech news today and news, news, news. And I was already thinking what would happen next week when everything changes. Hey, Dr. Francine, will you finish walking your dog in 20, 20 minutes' time? Of course. Thank you. I have a time. They'll be asleep. Tyler, have you seen the links about the banks in Sweden? Oh, here we go. Okay, thank you. So here it is. So uh, Expressen has this one. Big problems with... Uh, oh, I have, now we got a pop-up here. Hold on. 
No, 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 no. I have a good okay. ad blocker for you if you need. <laughs> I guess, right. That was just a cookie notice because it was my first time going to Express. It says, major problems with card payments. Many customers affected Swedbank, which is easily one of the biggest banks, if not the biggest. Swedbank and Sparbanken have suffered from operational uh, disruptions during the morning. They were unable to log in or make Swish payments. The major bank, Nordea, that if, if any bank is bigger than Swedbank, it's probably Nordea, um, writes in its app that they, in turn, have problems with card purchases. Some readers also state that they have problems shopping at Ica, which is the supermarkets in Sweden, and Presbyren, which is the convenience stores or like the 7-Elevens in Scandinavia. Uh, if you can't if you can't buy things at Ica or Pressburen, um, that's where you get food and your train tickets and bus tickets as well and train now, and, pay, and pay for your uh, you know updating you know your data plans on your phones and all kinds of things. Um, on Monday morning, the major banks, Swedbank, were hit. Swedbank and Nordia, IKEA or Ica and Pressburen. That's that's pretty massive outage so yeah. the thing is, is that we, the thing is here that uh, i sent you links about handels bank and the rest as well but we what what's really still is down is the van connections in between the banks the thing is that the first of each month is the day that all that us that have a company gets all the payments for the one that are to pay the, that have their invoices at due the 20 the 30th or 31st of the months before so I have still not received what I anticipate to be about 200 payments. None have come to our bank account so far. You are done. Yeah, it's going to be a wild day there. I'm curious if uh, Starbucks is giving out free drinks today. We furniture at IKEA. We, we don't even yeah. have Starbucks in Sweden anymore. <laughs> they they took them all the out, I know. <laughs> no, there's still the one at Hamgotten and Re Regeneringsgotten at the oh, Gallery and Mall. Yeah. Oh, they are not ex totally extinct yet. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a mall of Scandinavia. It's still there. Uh, that, that is probably bound to die because the, the half of the, um, the shops in the mall of Scandinavia is giving up. So, yeah. Is there something it's specific be a about... It's six weeks for you, Tyler. <laughs> is it... Someone why had a question. Pull out? I'm just curious why, why they're pulling it's out. A good, yes. I, well, they, I don't know. Why did the Starbucks pull out? They were all run. The, the business model didn't work in Sweden. We were, we were not uh, interested in buying coffee with extra, 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 extra sugar. In. That's a great point. Yeah, uh, let Swedish, me explain Swedish that. Swedish coffee is probably the world's best, as I say, as a Swedish. Yeah, well, so you just yeah, drink proper coffee. That's the here's, here's, let me explain. Tyler, it's the whole fika break. It, yes, let me explain. So... As a Starbucks shareholder, let me let me explain what's going on here. That um, Sweden is the second biggest consumer of coffee internationally, globally, after Finland, but right across the street, who, who they share a lot of uh, similarities with, and be, and it's also you, you for mean Swede, per capita, not in aggregate, right, Tyler? Yeah, I mean per capita, yes. Yeah. So. I would say the norm is like four cups a day. It's like you just you. There's an, a scheduled coffee break for everybody in Sweden at around 10 a.m. 
at lunch, you always have one after dinner, you always have one. And it's just the way it is. So, um, they, and they like very good coffee and they're this ritual, the way that they do it is very different from the American consumerism of Starbucks where uh, Starbucks is so perfectly suited to Americans because by the way, many don't know this as a Starbucks shareholder. Let me explain. Starbucks is not in the coffee business. According to Starbucks, according to Schultz, Howard Schultz, the creator of the company, Starbucks is in the making you feel good about yourself business. And that's why when you go to Starbucks, they want you to make a very complicated order and they tell you very sincerely that if they don't do it perfectly, they will happily throw it away completely in the trash and make it again as many times as necessary until you are satisfied because their business model is making you feel important for $4. And for coffee, that's very expensive coffee. Well, that's, for, that's the answer, though, to why they never make their coffee any better. They don't have to. It's not their real product. Right. The real product is giving you an ego boost for four dollars suitable for american uh, psyche totally and and the occasional misspelling of your name to incite some kind of social media craze like oh my god they spelled chris with five x's so that model didn't really translate to scandinavia because in scandinavia when you go to a restaurant you'll be surprised to find out that the restaurant only has two things for sale for lunch the fish and the chicken. And you as an American will say, what kind of joke of a restaurant is this? You don't have a menu. You just have the board out in front of the store that says today's special, the fish or the chicken. And you walk in and the waiter comes over to you and says, would you like to have the fish or the chicken? And you're like, am I on a reality? Is this like a hidden camera show or something? What kind of crazy restaurant is this that you only have two options? Uh, and because they're very efficient. And they make it all in the kitchen rapidly because they know you're only going to order one or the other. And they can make huge volumes of it very efficiently. And that makes service very efficient. And they can keep the price lower and the quality higher because they're not focused on so many ingredients. And um, it's a brilliant system once you get used to it. However, what it does is, is it trains you as a customer to not ask for any special changes. So Swedes don't and never would and never will ask for, can I get uh, with two cups and extra hot and a double pump of soy latte and a double foam and, you know, this and that and this, the, the and crazy unicorn, ritual. Rainbow, right. Pumpkin like, spice. With, with a double splash of pumpkin spice and cinnamon swirl and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, every American has their special, unique, I'm a snowflake order that they have at Starbucks. And Starbucks is enabling this. And they want you to do that. And so much so that the menus at Starbucks in Scandinavia say, here's how to order coffee at Starbucks. Number one, pick your type of milk. We've got uh, cow milk, oat milk, almond milk, coconut milk, you know, what have you. Lactose lactose they, they have lactose free in Scandinavia as well, which is fantastic. Anyway, and, and then you pick your type of 
espresso and then you pick your how much foam you want and then you pick you know your additive like your flavorings and they literally try and walk you through in a very systematic scandinavian way of how to order a starbucks drink and swedes are like no fuck it i just want a coffee because i grew up in a world where you don't have choices black just black coffee in the united states right we are obsessed with individualization and we love, love, love having our asses kissed by when we go into uh, a retail establishment. This is so true. <laughs> it's just, it's deleterious to the staff, though, you know? I mean, it, the staff gets treated like a punching bag, and and that's why you don't have anyone working. And sorry, Io. Yeah, yeah, no, I was just going to say that a few years ago, actually, McDonald's outbid Starbucks for, you know, the best coffee, quote unquote, the best coffee beans. And so it's actually if you if you order the the ground coffee from Starbucks versus the one from McDonald's, you'll actually notice a difference. So they didn't even want to pursue or put up a big enough fight in the auction to get the best beans. So they clearly don't care about the quality of the coffee it's just how much can we pump up your ego and i have to say i myself do find that to be kind of an ego boost sometimes you know when you have a shitty day or the weather sucks here in canada the weather can be sometimes very brutal in the winter and a starbucks coffee with all these beautiful features here and there can sometimes lift you up and so maybe the four or five ten dollar coffee sometimes can be an important part of living in north america <laughs> how have we got to a point where a triple bypass frappuccino can make us feel better about ourselves while our coronary arteries groan under the strain it's uh, 700 calories in some of those starbucks it's it's not oh, really? <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah isn't it kind of like how you know, people who have no who feel like they are powerless like you see in la this is very common you see like the homeless walk in front of traffic very slowly and i think it's really just that people feel like the, the less control you have in your life the more you want to exercise it in the one tiny way that you can. And so maybe for people who are, who are feeling like, you know, they're getting, you know, buffeted around by life instead of controlling what their life is, the, the one way that you can feel it is this tiny little bit of control of, I want something this specific way. Now you do it for me, which is basically like what probably a lot of people feel like they have in their days. So maybe, it's really just one tiny area where you can feel like you control something in your life. But that's I the think model. I just, sorry. That's the whole business. Yeah, I mean, it's Burger a, King. Just give me black coffee, thank you. Have yeah, it your way, yeah. For a black. lot of people, that's you know, that's what they're looking. That's a good model. You're always selling some core emotional appeal, and that's that's their core emotional appeal is you feel like you get screwed over a lot. Like you, you know, this is. Or, or you feel like you're not in control here. We're going to give you some control. But didn't I, I think I just read that they're making $16 an hour and they get help with IVF. Uh, I don't know if you guys and saw that at all. They're, something I mean, about Europe college is too. Making fun of That's the Americans while we're ordering Starbucks at the myriad of like all the shit we put in it. Europeans look at us like we're mad. They really do. But they're like, they don't they charge extra. Really they don't charge extra for like extras, right? Like what? So that, that that's kind of the part too, is that, you know, in America, we're used to being nickel and dime. So when you say, Hey, I want, you know, extra whip, it's like, Oh, well, you know, that's an extra 50 cents, but you go into Starbucks, you play, a, you pay a flat price. You, you kind of call the shots and, you know, 
for them, it's just margin, but they're selling experience. So they've but if got you, you hooked. Have, but if you can imagine what Tyler said about the FICA breaks in Sweden, because I've worked in Scandinavia and I know exactly what he's talking about. And also I've gone and worked in Italy where like, let me tell you, those are sacrilegious things that they're doing in Starbucks to people's coffee because the Swedish would, <laughs> the Swedish would probably poo-poo it and the Italians would probably chase them out of the shop. Because the doppio macchiato is nothing, nothing like what you see in the U.S. And a cappuccino is really, really small. And a cortado is even like, it's wild. It's like a whole art over here. You, like literally, you will be poo-pooed if you're not trained by Ili Lavaza or, an or another one of the Italian um, coffee houses here. And it's really wild because they do look at Americans like we're nuts when we go into Starbucks. And a lot of the Starbucks here in Netherlands have also sort of started to wean their way, way out of the country. I know that in Belgium, there's not that many as well because they still have that sort of small cafe culture where they have the Arica beans, they roast here themselves. They've got Australians that come into that roasting. So much. Love that's, it. That's Love where it. America's going. That's where America's going. You know, uh, most of the, you know, coffee snobs are going to places that roast their own beans and uh, oh, little, totally. little, little, yeah. Chris, it's not a coffee snob. You know, it's actually that they just want a it's good a coffee taste purist. of coffee. Dude, I'll drink Sanka. I'll drink it out of I'm a poker cup. I'm all about it, man. <laughs> man, I'm all about the espressos without sugar, man. That's pretty tight. Has anyone else noticed it's burnt as well? It's just over, overcooked. Starbucks the beans is burnt, yeah. Starbucks burnt. beans it's, are totally burnt. When you go to Italy it's, and it's Rome and coffee. you have a cup of coffee, uh, like an espresso, you could tell how Starbucks beans are burnt completely. And most it's of them are Arabic beans. But I saw this, so I saw this documentary years ago on Starbucks, like the history of Starbucks. It was really fascinating. It was, it was right around when that book, The Starbucks Way or whatever it is, it came out. But it was eating with when they came out was diner coffee. That is how Americans drank coffee for the most part, a pot that had been sitting on a burner that was, you know, just drip coffee. At Denny's. <laughs> At Denny's. Or, or exactly. Waffle House. And it was literally just fuel and, you know, no one really enjoyed drinking coffee. It was just something that you drank to get through the day or, you know, like it was like oh my drink God. Of truckers. My, it was really, that's what it was. And that's a Marlboro Red. My abuela would turn over in her grave, like Puerto Rican Cuban coffee. She would turn over in her grave if she even heard that, because I used to make Bustelo and Modelo. And let Thank me tell you, you the Puerto Ricans have their culture of coffee that is nowhere near the crap that I see inside of Starbucks and some of these Denny's and ugh, it's disgusting. There's nothing like the smell of Bustelo first thing in the morning. Well, just so everyone. I'm, I'm actually grinding beans right now. I'm so like, I feel very inspired by this conversation. Everyone should. How, Howard Schultz, who, you know, was chairman of Starbucks, grew up in the same community in Brooklyn that I did. And in Brooklyn and in most of New York, um, this is before Starbucks existed, but even people who were from New York originally or from Boston, by the way, if you ask them and you're going to all say we're crazy, we all prefer Dunkin Donuts coffee even today. Oh, my God. Starbucks. Totally. Ken, that's absolutely it. Spot on right there. 100%. Okay. And I'm amazed that Howard Schultz thinks that Starbucks is better than Dunkin' Donuts, having grown up like a mile from me. <laughs> so. Well, it's still a $26 billion revenue business. Still a $26 billion revenue business. So evidently there's a consumer out there for it. Tyler, this is for the Starbucks best one. or Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> this is the best one that just came Starbucks. out. You're going to love this one, Tyler. 
Burger King to give crypto rewards with Robinhood. Burger King's Royal Perks users will, who spend more than $5 on the chain's app will be rewarded with one coin from a pool of either 20 BTC, 200 Ethereum, or 2 million Doge. I think that just says it all right there. That's amazing. I, I can't wait to see uh, Kanye talk about it with Burger King because he owns a few Burger <laughs> exactly. King uh, restaurants, right? So wait. it's going to be the Kanye Cone. Kanye Cone. Yeah. Oh my God. You, you, have to, you have to realize that even most Americans outside of the Northeast have never experienced, the, to a large extent, even Dunkin' Donuts, which is now finally growing nationwide. Dunkin' yeah, Donuts. Dunkin Dunkin's Donuts is, is better. Dunkin's didn't go west of the Mississippi, right? Ken. And then that's uh, and then there was the Krispy Kreme convention or whatever, where yeah, but the, all the Donuts, donuts shops, made it. Right? They, they carved out their turf. Dunkin' Donuts knocked out Starbucks. It. Dunkin' Donuts knocked out Starbucks in Harlem. So you're right, Ken. Dunkin' Donuts came in like two years ago. And it's ever since Dunkin' Donuts came in, Starbucks is battling now Dunkin' Donuts because people are seeing the difference. Starbucks' biggest advantage right now is the drive-thru. They're pushing hard on drive-thru. They're pushing hard on mobile order. And that's the consumption habits. I mean, it's this morning drive that we talk about in America where we won't even have time to eat. So every Starbucks is on the right side of going out of town traffic and, and that's the pattern you're always going to see of a mcdonald's and of a starbucks so where mcdonald's used to be starbucks are now popping up because it's on the right side of going onto the freeway that's always the rule for these things that's interesting yeah, that's an adaptation that. i think um you know to to changing habits and certainly to well i mean that's certainly become part of a great and, and panda expresses are always because, on the pan, pandas well, are always no, on the coming home side well, historically, they their um, most of what they had was um, a. Did we lose I think Big Coffee her? wants to silence her. <laughs> I think the, I think I think it just like, either that or it's Big Tuna. <laughs> their own internal um, bakery. Or, I mean, sorry. Well, they used to license with Sweet Street, and now they have their own internal bakery, and the prices that like they make a huge amount of margin um on the food also so because people are hanging out and snacking so what they had is they had this sort of like um it was for college students primarily who would spend a lot of money there and so they must have uh, you know adapting their model to be more like you know not a gathering location was probably not very easy but it looks like they did it successfully so yay them right yeah because they used to have the tagline the third place and that, you know, at, be, besides home and work, Starbucks was the third place. Yes. And so that, they, that was, remember that's when another they concept. Music there, they had CDs. Yeah, they had a lot. That, that's exactly right. They were heavy into music for a while. But of course, COVID, you know, but of course, COVID. Dr. Francine, are you ready for your room? I am totally ready. Let me <laughs> allow the dogs to leave. Okay. I was set in like three minutes. Okay. Sure. Here, I want to put the survey link one last time. So if you have not, it's an incredibly close race uh, to see when we do tech news around the world. By the way, so China, the link up 2 p.m. Yes? UK is uh, 7 a.m. Pacific time. Right. So if you could please, oh, if you have not yet.
please click on the title, uh, the link at the top of the room, and just very simply answer the question, what time should we do Tech News Around the World? If it were up to you so that we can include your vote in determining when we do it now with the time zone changes occurring. And it's a very close race between 7 a.m. UK and 7 a.m. Pacific, which is 2 p.m. UK. And it comes down to the final four minutes uh, because we've had this going on when we met earlier today at 7 a.m. UK. Now we're meeting 7 a.m. Pacific. And we want to make sure the, the viewers in both audiences have a chance to share their preferences. Okay. Um, there was one or two last little headlines a Cheryl sent in this one from BBC that uh, double jabbed can easily spread COVID at home. Vaccinated people are catching and then spreading the virus to those they live with. UK study finds. They weren't uh, passing it the Experts warn who have studied UK household cases, individuals who have had two vaccine doses can be just as infectious as those who have not been vaccinated, according to the BBC. And last but not least. Uh, Tyler, can, we, can... can I comment on this? Sorry, I know you're trying to run fast, but uh, you need to yeah. read into this. Uh, that, that, that headline is slightly misleading. It's kind of leading the reader to believe that vaccines aren't helpful. Um, what it says is if you have the same infection level as a vaccinated person, as another unvaccinated person, that you spread it just as easily. Like when we dove into the data yesterday, um, that was what the article actually said instead of just that it's, you know, instead of that headline that makes it seem like it's almost pointless to get a vaccine. Uh, yeah, so, but I think the, no. the, the headline comes at an interesting time because we're thinking about vaccinating the children because they themselves represent these super spreader events. So parents who are not vaccinated risk being infected. So this should encourage folks to vaccinate their children um, so that, you know, life can go back to normal because it's hard to care for kids, as, as, as you know, Chris, during the pandemic. And then the last one is from Ken, which says uh, from Bloomberg that Spotify has tried being Netflix. Now it wants to be YouTube. The Swedish streaming giant is adding videos to its app again and hoping for better results. Yep, they're allowing podcasters to include videos like YouTube. So there you go. And that takes us to the... Uh, the start of Cheryl's interview with Dr. Francine Hardaway, a whole deep dive, which will be very interesting. I, in my university studies at UC San Diego, I had a professor, Adrian Yenick, who was a huge fan of Dr. Francine Hardaway. So I've been familiar with Dr. Francine Hardaway long before Clubhouse, going back to 2000, where uh, we got regular comments about you know, how Francine felt about this and about that and everything was so when I came into Clubhouse, I was like, oh, I feel like I know you. <laughs> and uh, now you so it'll knew be me. interesting. To... You also knew me when you worked for Jason. Yeah, that too. When you and... were steep decline on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
So I'm looking forward to that interview. So we'll go over and start that and I'll update the top link. Or Cheryl, can you put back the link at the top of the room so people can just hop over by clicking the link? Hey, hey Colin, just a quick note for some of the Americans in the room, and I doubt there's probably many people here who this applies to, but if you have a Sprint phone, the Sprint network was supposed to be shut down at the end of the year, but because of uh, government pressure, because of uh, issues with the T-Mobile merger, uh, T-Mobile announced they're going to keep the Sprint network open till at least the end of March, and it might extend um, beyond that. And and that's also if you have like a Boost Mobile phone or something which runs on on Sprint. I just thought I'd mention that just happened last week. I have to go to um, a bunch of back-to-back calls, but please come after after Francine's interview. Please, please come to the blockchain and crypto news and analysis room at it's ten thirty Pacific, so an hour from now. Please, please, please come. It'll be very fun. Uh, Q and A is always open, and we look forward to seeing all of you. Have a wonderful time here. Take care. I'll see you soon. Remind, I'll see everybody soon. Remind Cheryl to link to that room at the when they close the when Cheryl and Francine are finished with their room that they put the link like I'm doing at the top to help people get to the next room. Awesome. Alrighty. All right. Thank you, everybody. Sure. See you next time. All right. Be safe, everyone. Thanks, Tyler. Bye.